Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. If you have your Bible. epistle that is very telling with Peter's encouragement to bear the truth times to bear the truth in the day when we really need to recall that first Peter was about bearing times when Persecution comes our way. These are for Peter. Lord Jesus Christ. And it was also Paul, apostles, there's ever been a time where it is now. Here comes somebody. What do we need to do? All right. My microphone's broken. Nonetheless, Peter is reminding us that we need to stand on the Word of God. Folks, I don't think there's a greater urgency and never been a time of greater urgency for the people of God in the churches to know the Bible, apply the Bible, and stand firm when the Word of God is attacked and they are persecuted for it in our country. We are facing some terrible things, terrible godless philosophies that come in a container like a Trojan horse. They look like a gift. They look like they're wonderful. But inside are damnable heresies, as Peter will tell us when we get into chapter 2. I call them some crows. You can see the title of, of our text is The More Sure Word or Following Crows. Now, we have already in chapter 1 seen our wonderful salvation the abundance of our salvation. And then we saw the assurance of, sal- of salvation. If you're going to stand for truth uh, in these trying times, 
Peter in his second epistle says, first of all, you need to be saved. You won't stand for truth unless you know the truth. And second of all, you need to know you're saved. You need to have assurance. But now what we come to in this text is the authority of Scripture. And last week we began this uh, series within this series on 2 Peter on the sure word or the more sure word of the Word of God, the authority of the Bible. And if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and look at uh, that message. You can get it on our website about the Word of God is more authoritative and more sure than any experience you ever had. It's more authoritative to Peter than the, what he experienced on a Mount of Transfiguration. And so he establishes that regardless of what things look like, regardless of how things feel, it is the doctrines of the Word of God that we stand on. And today he continues with this surety of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, the sufficiency of the Word of God. And we look at part two of what we started last week. And we're going to give you two things about the Bible today that I hope you will be encouraged with and motivated. If you're not a student of the Bible and you're, you are in Christ, I hope you get rebuked because you've got to know your Bible if you're going to stand today. You've got to be in it and spend time with it. And let God speak to you through it. So let's read the text, First, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than any experience you ever had, more sure than anything you feel, more sure than uh, what um, Dr. Phil has to say, uh, more sure than anything. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so let's take a look and see what Peter tells us about the Word of God, about your Bible, about the Bible that we're able to read and hear from God from every day. The first thing he tells us is the Bible, the Word of God, is sure. Not only is it sure, but it is more sure. The word sure means to be stable, to be held fast. It means to uh, be firm and trustworthy. What Peter is saying in these verses, in verses 18 and 19, is this Word of God, this Bible, is the firm foundation, more firm than any signs you may see or think you see, than any wonders, than any experiences, than any emotions that you feel. Peter uses this word two times, this word sure, in this, one, this first chapter. In chapter 1 and verse 10, Peter uses it in terms of your salvation, the assurance of your salvation. He says, make your calling and election sure. And then in our text, he uses it in terms of the Word of God to tell us of the authority of the Word of God. 
and the inspiration of the Word of God and the inerrancy of the Word of God, which we'll get into next week. But this is a firm foundation. And I will tell you, folks, if you doubt your salvation, if you doubt your salvation, as we talked about in previous weeks in this chapter, I will tell you that you do not need to find resolution and you will not find continuing assurance by trying to remember your experience. You never will. It'll always come back on you, this doubt, if you try to find your assurance and firm it down and tie it down on your assurance, on, on something you did, a prayer you prayed when you were in vacation Bible school or watching a Billy Graham crusade and you prayed. If you keep going back and say, well, that was my memory, that's my experience, doubt may flee away for just a little bit, but it'll always come back. It'll always come back. And that is why you may have battled with, with doubt about your salvation all through your Christian life. But I want to tell you where you find that firm foundation. You find it in the sure word. See, you must have faith to be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. Do you agree with that? Well, you've got to have faith in the faith that God gave you and the grace He gave you to save you. And faith comes by hearing the Word of God. When you were saved, you heard somebody proclaim to you, whether in preaching, whether somebody sitting down next to you on a dining room table or in your living room or somewhere sharing the Word of God with you. They gave you some Bible truth so you could call on the name of the Lord and receive the forgiveness of your sin and, and believe the gospel that He died for you. For your sin, he took the penalty, God's penalty, God's justice for your sin. And he was buried and he rose again. You had to have somebody give you the word of God in order to have the faith to be saved. And so I will tell you, in order to have the assurance of your salvation, you're going to have to be given the word of God. You're going to have to learn the word of God and what it says about you. And so once again, and I know we have dealt with this an awful lot, but you know what? It is one of the number one. There's more than number one problems in the church today. This is one of the number one problems in the church today is Christian people lack assurance of their salvation. And I believe it's because they are not in the Word of God and they're not applying it and they're not studying it and they're not comparing themselves to it and allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify them with the Word of God. And so if you doubt your salvation, what I would do, if I were you, I would uh, put away all other reading, unless you're in high school or unless you're in college. I know you got to read some textbooks. But if you're reading some novel over here, some novel over there, and and you're reading this magazine and that magazine, or now it's blogs. You know, when somebody said, do you have a blog? I thought, well, a lot of people think I just blog, blog, blog all Sunday. But <laughs> whatever you're reading, you need to put it aside, and you need to open up the pages of 1 John. And you need to read the epistle of 1 John all the way through slowly with a pencil and a paper. 
and read and mark down and write down every time he uses the word no, K-N-O-W. And then when you finish doing that, you need to do it again. And when you finish with that, you know what you need to do? Again. And then when you finish it that third time and fourth time, I will tell you, you need to do it again until God breaks through and says, you're nothing like this. Then you need to get saved. But then he might say, you're like this. And you can have the assurance of your salvation based on the sure word. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thing what the word of God will do for you? And so the firm and sure foundation of the unchanging Word of God. Get that down first, and then you'll be able to stand on God's Word with the issues of life. When the issues of life come about, you'll be able to see and have comprehension about the trickery of Satan and what he's doing in our country and what your kids are learning, and what your kids are hearing. And you will be able to stand firm and give them Bible truth as you grow in Bible knowledge. So he has dealt with the assurance of salvation and how we must stand firm on the Word of God. But I am very disturbed today in the quote-unquote Christian culture of the church. I believe in the church today at large, not just First Baptist Church, but the church today at large, and this comes by observation and reading and hearing and talking to pastors and, and seeing what, hearing what others have said. And I think today we have some very unbiblical ideas either being totally accepted by God's people in the church or moderated to the point where we only put Christian phrases to it, but it's still the same heresy. Have you ever heard the term, the, the sailor's term, a crow's nest? You know what a crow's nest is? Well, we think of a crow's nest today as a big old bucket up in the, uh, on the top of a mast on a ship before the days of radar and sonar and all their kinds of dars. But uh, the word crow's nest originated during the days of the Vikings. And what they would have up there, instead of a man on top of the mast, they had a little cage on top of the mast. And when bad weather was coming and they needed to get to land or they needed to get uh, somewhere, what they would do is they would crawl up, climb up top of that mast and open the crow's nest and let the crow go. And hopefully the crow, hopefully the crow would fly them to safe haven or land. And so we have the term crow's nest. Now I bring that up today because Peter uses some terms that are nautical, terms that refer to the sailor's terminology in our text. But I will tell you that today many, even within the church, are following after crows. Here's the problem with the crow. He'll take you to land all right, but it might be a land full of headhunters. Right? It might be a, a land full of, uh, of people that don't want you on their land. It might be to the wrong land. Right? It might be back where you came from when you're trying to get somewhere else. 
Now, we all know that lost people in the world are following after crows that are going to end up in their own destruction or they're going to crash against dangerous rocks and their ship is going to sink. We all know that. We all know the world is, is going that way. And the only thing we can do is continue to preach the gospel and, and continue to preach Jesus and share Christ so that people will not be headed to the destruction following their crows. But I want to tell you something, folks. Crows are also being followed by church people, by people in the churches. The churches are going the way of the crow in many ways. It starts out very small, but I want to tell you what, there are some philosophies that are hitting the evangelical church and our leaders on many fronts are grasping for those crows and following those crows. Let me tell you, there's two books I believe every Christian, especially every Southern Baptist, needs to read. Number one is read Vody Bauckham's book entitled Fault Lines. You need to read that book. A second book you need to read is Does It Matter? Does It Matter? Essays on the Conservative Resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's by multiple authors. Does it matter? I'm reading that one. I've already read the first one. I'm reading that one. It's about that thick. Y'all going to have to quit calling me so I can finish it. I'm playing. I'm playing. But I want to tell you what, folks. We got some crows. I read documentation of a, of a wonderful professor that I admired for years who was abandoned in recent years. And I saw the evidence, and it broke my heart. I have books in my library by this man, and they're sound and solid, but in recent years, he has followed the crow. And it's no longer the inerrancy of the words of Scripture, but it's an inerrancy of purpose. In other words, the history of the Bible is probably not right, but the purpose is right. Well, I won't tell you what, that's a slippery slope. And so some of our people are following crows. You say, well, preacher... We'll never follow such crows. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. It starts out small. You might already be following crows and not even know it. Let me share with you. Picture this scenario. Ask yourself this. When was the last time that you had a major decision to make? Or when was the last time that you had a minor decision to make? When did you have an issue in your life come up that you needed to handle? Or maybe there was a relationship that needed to be handled. Something needed to be done. Think about it. All right, you got it in your mind? Did you go to the Bible to find instruction? Did you look up that theme in Scripture and read the Bible verses and ask God, to help you apply the truth for that issue, that situation, that problem, that difficulty? Or did you just handle it? You see, it might have worked out for you. I hope it did. But if you didn't consult the Word of God, you just followed a crow, and the crow got lucky. Amen? Think about it. 
That's how it starts. And if it does that, if you follow those crows in your personal experiences, you're going to wind up following them in the cultural war as well. And in your church, when it, when it has to take a stand against our culture based upon the Word of God, you're going to want to be following crows because that's your habit. And you don't consult the Word of God on the small things. Will you consult it on the big things? That's good preaching. Whether the congregation is silent as ice or not. Amen. There are all kinds of crows out there. And we need to stand on the Word of God. We need to stand on the Word of God. As we get into 2 Peter... We will identify some of those crows. And you will certainly, if the Bible is preached, you will certainly hear them. Let me just give you, can I give you a preview of what we're going to be talking about? Of all things, thank you. You get the prize, son. You get your tithe back today. All right, let me tell you something. Global warming, climate change. Did you know Peter talks about that in his book? Isn't that wonderful? He talks about that in his book. This, this was before the internet, and Peter talked about it. He didn't Google it. He Holy Spirited it. Crows. Critical race theory. Critical social justice theory. All of those things are spoken of in the Word of God, and I will tell you, for the sake of time, we will not get into it, but I will tell you this. All of them are addressed in the Word of God and they are completely contrary to CNN. And they're completely contrary to the culture. And so, don't follow the crows in the small things. Consult the Word of God. You know, sometimes though, we put ourselves in a position where, where we climb up that mast and we open up the crow's cage and we let the crow go. And we stay up there in that bucket on a stormy sea, Brother Larry Garman. And here we're going just like this, just like this, and all over the place trying to keep our eyes on that crow. And I won't tell you what, uh, crows make a lot of noise. And they're filthy animals. They're filthy birds. And so you can do like this, or you can put your feet solid in the Word of God. Now, the second thing he tells us in terms of the Word of God, the Bible, is not only is it sure, not only is it sure, it's more sure, but he also tells us you would do well to take heed of it. You would do well to take heed of it. Is that what he says in verse 19? We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed unto it, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day star shine. Well, this word, take heed, it's an interesting word. It's found throughout all the Bible. You do a search and a concordance on take heed, and you're going to find it from one end of the Bible all the way to 2 Peter. Because after 2 Peter, it's never used again in the Bible. Peter's the last one to write, take heed. Now to me, that's very interesting. 
because this word take heed is a nautical term. And it means to hold a ship on course. To hold a ship on course. In other words, don't let the crow go away, escape, get out of the cage, and start following the crow. Stay on the course. Stay on course. Don't follow the crow. And so we have this nautical term written by Peter. You know, Peter, he was a fisherman, so he was a boatsman. He was out there on the, on the, on the water quite a bit. He was a man of the water. Have you ever read in the Gospels how sometimes Peter got caught in a storm? You know, one time he had to wake Jesus, they woke Jesus up. Jesus was asleep in the storm and they woke him up. And, and uh, then another time Peter decided he wanted to walk on water. Remember that? And that really didn't work out. God doesn't want us walking on water. He wants us staying in the boat, getting to the other side. But I will tell you, uh, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, if Jesus wanted Peter walking on the water, they had to walk to shore, but instead they got back in the boat. And the command to Peter and his disciples earlier was this, get in the boat and get to the other side. It wasn't, get out there, Peter, then jump out. It was stay in the boat and get to the other side. And so stay on course is the whole point. And I imagine old Peter was thinking about that when he wrote this little word, nautical term, take heed. Take heed, don't follow the crows. It means to stay the course. Now, there are two reasons and two ways, or three ways, rather, that the Word of God will help you stay the course. And it's right here in this verse 19. Number one, the Word of God is enlightening. It enlightens your way, and you can apply it. The Bible says, as a light... In a dark place. See, the word dark is, is, is an interesting word in our Bibles. It is a manifold meaning to it. It means to be destitute of brightness. That's easily, we knew that. But did you know it also means to be dirty? And it also means to be dry. This world of sin is dark, it's dirty, and it's dry. And those crows are going to lead you to a darker place, a dirtier place, and a drier place if you follow the crows. Sin and those given to it, the curse of all this world, only the Word of God can enlighten you in this dark world. Psalm 119, 105. If you don't have it memorized, I think you ought to memorize it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In this dark, dirty, and dry world, you need a lamp and a light. You need a lamp and you need a light. See, the lamp, what David was talking about, gives you the general direction of your life. The lamp just kind of gives you the general enlightenment in your heart for your life. It enlightens you. In other words, it's a lamp under my feet, the general direction. You know what? This is how you remember it. It gets your toes in the right direction. It sets your toes in the direction they need to go. So you need to be a student of the whole Bible. That's why 
one of the reasons why years ago I learned and dedicated myself to preaching verse by verse through the books of the Bible. So we'll cover the whole counsel of God. We'll get it all. And I don't have to pick and choose. And if somebody says, Preacher, you made me mad today. You stepped on my toes today, and I'm mad about it. I can say to you, well, I didn't choose that. Peter wrote all that. But if I'm a topical preacher or I'm skipping around and in Genesis one week and Revelation the next and Luke the next and, and Jeremiah the next, and, and usually those kind of preachers stay away from a lot of other books, but I, I will tell you, if I was that kind of preacher, you could really accuse me of picking on you. Right? But Cole, if we're expository preachers, Jay, if we're exp expositors of the Word of God, verse by verse, we're going to cover it all. And everybody's going to get hit. And by the way, it hits me before it ever hits you. Matter of fact, I absorb most of the blow. But it is the general direction. It gets your toes right. And so you need to have a consistent daily plan of Bible reading. But not only is it a lamp unto your feet, it is a light unto your path. While the lamp is general, the light is particular. It's kind of like that flashlight just honed in on a smaller space. When you have decisions and issues and, and, and problems, what to do, when to do, how to do, the where, what, when, and how, the direction of your life. So one is your dedication. Get your toes in the right direction. The second is your direction that God gives you. Now the Bible doesn't speak to every single little issue in life. Don't you wish it did? I mean, should I buy a Ford or a Chevy? Well, you open it up, and of course naturally everybody knows Chevy, but anyway, uh, you open it up and there it is. It's not there. But the Bible gives you precepts and principles and wisdom and it gives you direction in your life. And you'll read Proverbs, you'll read Ecclesiastes and you'll read about money and spending money and you'll soon learn it doesn't matter. Ford or Chevy, you can't afford either one. And so God says, don't buy what you can't afford. Amen. And if you could afford it, then you got to go fill it up with gas. So the Word of God is enlightening and you can apply it. Let me tell you, listen to this now. We need to change some terminology that we've used. The Word of God will enlighten, don't say amen to this, the Word of God will enlighten the darkness. No, it enlightens you. The, you know what light does to darkness? It eliminates it. It doesn't enlighten it, it eliminates it. Get home tonight and go to sleep, and at 2 in the morning, when it's pitch black, turn on the light and see what happens to the dark. What happens to the dark? It's gone. Now, I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know for sure, but by observation, I pretty much think it does. And so it eliminates the darkness. It'll give you light and enlighten your direction and enlighten your dedication. The second thing about the Word of God being firm and sound in your life and better than crows, it is enduring and you will be accountable to it. This book will enlighten us until Jesus comes back. Look what he says. 
as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. And the day star rise in your hearts. The kingdom of Christ, what he has placed in us, will be on earth when the day star comes. No more darkness. A day of great blessing, but of judgment. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, 48. So the word of God, the Bible is enduring. We will never do away with the word of God. No one can ever do away with it. It will always be pressing and it will always be present. Not one jot or one tittle, the smallest of the Hebrew articles will, of grammar will not pass away. The Word of God will always be in place. It will always have its proclaimers. And the day star will come. And when He comes, He will judge the world according to the Word of God. Did you know when you stand before God, the judgment and judgment, it will not be any other standard except this book right here. I suggest you read it and know it and study it. The whole world will stand in judgment and the standard will be God's Word. That's another reason I'm an expository preacher. I'm going to answer to God for what's preached. And so it is enduring and you will be accountable to it. Also, it is engaging and you can access it. The Bible says in verse 19, verse 1, we have also a more sure word. You have the Word of God. It is a present reality in your life. You have it. And if you're saved, you have within you the author of the book. You have the Holy Spirit. And He, he, he illuminates it for you. He inspired it with the prophets and apostles and He illuminates it for us today. He gives us understanding in it. Now, He might use a teacher or a preacher, but I want to tell you something. It is a falsehood, and it is a completely arrogant statement to say that you've got to have some scholar teach you the Bible. If you open up your Bible, you may not be a Bible scholar. You may not know Greek or Hebrew. We reject that idea that you have to know Greek or Hebrew or that you have to be a Bible scholar trained in seminary in order to know the Bible. Any seminary professor or anybody who would claim such a thing is of the height of arrogance. Because I want to tell you something, every born-again Christian I've ever met, regardless of whether they're in sixth grade or just have a sixth grade education, they have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them, and they can open up the pages of the Bible, and they can read it, and it may be fuzzy, but they can start praying and reread it, reread it, and pray and pray, and the Holy Spirit resides in them. The teacher will give them that truth. Amen. The Bible says, We have it. We have it. It's in you, and you, can, you have access to it. It's engaging. You have it. It's very important. God's Word is always speaking to you, it's engaging you, and you respond to it. Now, let me, let me share something with you. You say, well, preacher, I have a hard time. I, I really don't understand a lot of the Scripture. Let me tell you what to do. All right? And I'm, I'm being pastoral here. I'm not getting on to anybody. I'm not trying to be rebuking. I'm, I'm being pastoral. But this is what you got to do. You got to 
Spend time in the Word of God by yourself. And you got to pray. And you got to ask the Holy Spirit to do what He's promised He would do. And yield yourself. And you got to confess your sin so there's no blockage. See, sin makes us nearsighted or farsighted. And you got to ask God to forgive you and so you can have fellowship with Him. See, when you're at odds with somebody, you might speak to them. And they might speak to you, but you hear only what you want to hear. Or you don't hear them at all because you're all mad. Well, you need to open up the pages of Scripture. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins and restore that fellowship with Him and pray and just ask God to show you. But here is the key. If you're not obedient to what you do understand, He's not going to give you any more understanding. Right? You've got to be obedient to what you do know. Amen. A good teacher, if you kept on writing 2 plus 2 equals 5, 2 plus 2 equals 5, although you knew better, you're not going to pass. You're not going to get to go a grade higher. You're not going to get to your multiplication tables. You've got to obey what you know from the Word of God, and then He'll give you more understanding in His Word. Amen? I hope that helps you. And so that's the Word of God for you. Honor it. Study it. Read it and respect it. Now, when you got to church this morning, we had, we had a perfect illustration of a, of a, a story I'm about to tell you. Uh, we got to church this morning. You saw that our, our parking lot was roped off or, or guarded up. Well, uh, we have a pretty good relationship with the city and and uh, so they agreed to barricade it off for us. And our security guys have been out there all morning getting cussed at and all kinds of stuff for not letting people park in there. And that's, that's fine. But nonetheless, let me tell you what, what um, happened. One of our guys out there had a Bible. And he said, uh, I'm sorry you can't park here, but would you, would you like the Bible? And, uh, and the guy said, absolutely not. Well, I kind of laughed at that, but then I got to thinking. When the day star comes, how many people are going to stand in great judgment and be judged according to the Word of God? And I wonder if the righteous judge of all the earth who owes no one an explanation, no one, he owes no one an explanation. He doesn't even owe us salvation. That's why it's called grace. I just wonder if it'll come to mind that Sunday morning when he was more concerned about parking and not having to walk a few more 50 yards, if he will remember when he had the opportunity to at least receive a copy of the Word of God and be judged by it. Well, folks, you have that opportunity. Study it and read it. A traveling salesman, a story told by one of the old commentators that I like to read, told of this salesman who prided himself on being an upright, moral man. His morality was his idol. 
He was a model citizen and knew it. Considered himself to be highly upright, morally speaking, in terms of all of his relations. And he checked into the historic Davenport Hotel in Spokane, Washington. One of the finer hotels in the city. And when he checked in his room, he noticed that there was a Gideon Bible on the nightstand. You remember those days? They still have them. But he had a Gideon Bible on the nightstand. Him being very self-righteous and him following the crow of self-righteousness and apparently uh, arrogance that comes along with self-righteousness, he always got anxious when he saw a Bible. And he got angry. Now that's a good thing in one way because he knew what the Bible said about him and he agreed with it. That's why he got mad. But on this particular occasion, it made him real mad. And this high moral standard salesman took that Bible, that Gideon Bible, and threw it across the room and hit the, hit the wall with it. And it bounced off the wall and he started kicking it, tearing it up, kicking it again. And he kicked it under the bed. Went to sleep. Woke up the next day and went about his route there in Spokane, Washington. Off he goes. Came back at noon to freshen up a little bit, and there was a note on the door. And it said, please come down to the main desk. Manager needs to talk to you. So off he goes. He didn't know why the manager was going to talk to him. But uh, he got down there, and the manager came up and said, um, Sir, do you... Uh, Enjoy our hotel? Do you have a problem with our hotel? Oh, no. The Davenport is highest, classiest hotel in the whole area, in all of my territory. I, I, uh, I enjoy staying here, and I'm glad I can afford to stay here. And the manager said, well, um, then I don't know why you don't respect our property, but you're being evicted. And he was just shocked. How dare someone evict him? Why? Well, you destroyed our property. What property? I've never stolen a towel. I didn't tear up the mirror or what have you. And he said, no, you tore up our Bible. The maid found it under your bed. And so, sir, here's your eviction. And uh, the rest of your bill's been canceled. And you need to go up to the room, pack, and get out. Well, he went up to his room. The room was been cleaned, and there on the nightstand was another Gideon Bible. He sat down on the edge of that bed, opened up that Bible, and said to himself, if I get kicked out of a hotel room for destroying this cheap Bible, there must be something to it. And he began to read it, and he began to look up the verses, Brother Dan, that's in the plan of salvation of that old Gideon Bible, and he read where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it read where none is righteous, no, not one. And all that he hated began to be superseded by the Holy Spirit. And he fell under conviction. And he got on his knees and he prayed and asked God's forgiveness and became a Christian. He went downstairs to apologize. 
and he told the manager what had happened to him, and he paid for the damaged Bible and was forgiven by God and by the hotel manager. So I want to tell you, folks, don't kick your Bible. You need to read your Bible. If you're a Christian, God has put within you a hunger for His Word. If you're not saved, you could care less. But if you're a Christian, He's put within you some hunger. And I want to tell you something. You won't want to miss breakfast. You won't want to miss breakfast. You'll want to spend time in God's Word. Well, maybe today the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you need some guidance in your life and you've been following crows. You've been following crows of your own morality and your own decency, maybe some false religion, maybe some leader, church leader somewhere down the line told you it's a works, you can get saved by your own works or your own goodness, but I want to tell you the Bible says you need Jesus, you need to be saved by grace, and you want to hear what the Bible has to say about getting you out of hell and getting you to heaven. You want to hear what the Bible says about dealing with your guilt and your sin. Maybe you, you're an adulterer. And, and, and you ruined your family, and you're guilty, and you know it, and it weighs heavy on you, and you need to be released from that. Well, the Bible tells you how you can be free from your shame and your guilt and trust Christ. We want to show you what the Bible says. And dear Christian, quit following those crows. Base everything on the Word of God. Study it, and you'll be surprised when... When something comes up, how the Holy Spirit will use and prompt your memory toward the Holy Scriptures to give you that lamp and that light. Let's stand for our song of appeal. If you have such a decision to make, I invite you to come forward. And Cole and I will be standing up front as Jay leads in our song of appeal, and you come as the Spirit leads. Father, bless your word today. Help it to bless someone else today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.